just said goodbye to everyone because I knew I was dying. In the next 10 seconds, I was just going to die. She was basically asking me to let her die. Just let me die, take it all away. Two for two, heavy responding code one. We have a young lady unconscious. Topic approach 1320. Hi, I'm Lana Mitchell from the Royal Flying Doctor Service. And this is a podcast series about mateship, about life in the bush, and about the role that the Royal Flying Doctor Service plays in servicing rural communities. This is the Flying Doctor Podcast. You pour lighter fluid all over yourself and then set fire to that and times that pain by a million, you might just understand what that pain feels like. On the Easter weekend of 2018, 14-year-old Hannah Mitchell was holidaying with family and friends in the Dampier Archipelago on the Pilbara coast of Western Australia. This is a beautiful part of the world. It's remote with exceptional natural beauty. The archipelago is made up of about 42 islands, islets and rocks. It's got really rich marine biodiversity. It's comparable to the Great Barrier Reef. But despite these picturesque surrounds, the family holiday with Hannah Mitchell went terribly wrong. I have both Hannah and her mother, Casey, here to tell us what happened. Let's first of all start with you, Hannah. Here you are, a young teenager, and you're out boating with your friend Zoe and her family. Can you describe what that day was like and what you and your friends had been up to? Yeah, so it was um, Easter Sunday, and um, they invited me out onto her dad's friend's boat, and it was like the long weekend, so we didn't have school the next day as well. So it was just nice to just be chilling. It's such a remote part of Australia. It's funny to imagine being out on the water on a public holiday in a place where there's just nobody else. Yeah, it was because really yeah, if you were on the east coast of Australia, you know, the water's filled with boats and people doing all sorts of things, mm-hmm. but out here we're talking about pretty remote. How far was it from um the shore? You were quite a ways, weren't you? Um 40 minutes on the boat. All right. So at one point both you and Zoe swam from the boat towards the beach of Goodwin Island. How far was that? 20 metres. So you're swimming towards the beach and then you felt a sting while you were in the water. Can you describe it and what you thought had happened? Um, I just thought it was a normal jellyfish sting because obviously I did surf life saving and always got stung going up. You know, I just thought it was a normal jellyfish and I didn't know Irukandji jellyfish existed, so that didn't cross my mind. (laughs) Right. So the Irukandji jellyfish is a tiny creature. It's only the size of a sugar cube or a fingernail. Um, It has four tails coming off the head and trailing about a foot long. It's one of the deadliest jellyfish in the world. It brings on, as you learned, excruciating muscle cramps in the arms and legs and severe pain in the back and kidneys, burning sensation of the skin and face, headaches, nausea, sweating, vomiting, and on top of this, a feeling of impending doom. So you get stung. Tell me, what's the chain of events that followed from there after that seemingly innocent sting in the water? What do you remember? Um, In my mind, it was a normal jellyfish and I'd been stung by them before, so I didn't actually think these symptoms were from the sting that I had like two minutes before. I just thought, I don't like I was hungry and like dehydrated because I felt really like crazy and I didn't know what was happening. Must have been a little bit scary. Yeah. Um, so so you start to feel really weird and 
is it sort of homing pigeon instinct kicks in and you're like, let's go back to the boat? <laughs> um, no, we actually continued swimming. Um, I said I need to go like on the sand because I felt I couldn't, I didn't feel like I was moving, but I was moving. Like I couldn't feel myself moving. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. But like I couldn't feel anything but this burning in me, like in my veins and stuff. Right. Um, so we went to the back, we went, like, kept swimming to the sand and I hadn't told Zoe how I was feeling because I didn't understand what was happening. And then um, we got to the sand and I like stood up and she was like, what's wrong? I was like, I don't know. She just thought I was being weird because like, you know, it's just <laughs> it was just so weird. <laughs> and um, she was like, do you want to go for a walk? Like so there was like little caves, like just to see if there was like starfish and stuff there. And I was like, yeah, sure. So we just started walking and then randomly I just ran into the water because I could feel myself like going to fall and I didn't want to fall like on the sand and then have Zoe ask me why I just fell because I couldn't tell her. I didn't know what was happening. Gosh, that's really scary. So so you run to the water and mm-hmm. the water, I presume, with the buoyancy sort of supports you a bit. Yeah. W- what are you feeling at that point? What is happening? I was shocked and I, this is when the pain's really kicking in. What sort of pain? Could you de- could you describe it? Was it like in one specific location? Um, it's like started at the feet. It was like cramping, but I couldn't feel the water like on my skin. Like I didn't feel that and I didn't feel like I was moving. I just felt this like burning and like tightness. It sounds terrifying. So so yeah. what did you tell Zoe? What happened? What was she doing? Was she saying, she was, why are you being a yeah. weirdo and running yeah. into the water? <laughs> yeah, she was like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, I don't know. And then I just was like, I think I was, I don't, it's all such a blur, but I think I was just like, I need to eat. I was just dead set that it was because I was dehydrated because it was like 40 degrees. We'd barely eaten and it was like, what, lunchtime or something late in the afternoon and um, yeah, not had much water. So I was just like, I need to go back to the boat, I need to eat. And she was just like, okay, like just thinking I'm being weird. I thought I was just being weird as well. (laughs) Like, yeah. So So did... Did you have trouble swimming back to the boat? Yeah. Was it hard? Yeah. I, and I don't, I don't even remember how I got there, like thinking about it. Like I, like I obviously swam, but like I don't actually know how I swam. Because I, ah. I couldn't, like it, I just felt like I wasn't moving. Like I, I was moving, but I didn't know I was moving. And, yeah. and so once you actually got to this edge of the boat, did you have trouble getting up onto yeah, the boat? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I had to, like Zoe pushed me up, I think. And then I sat on this ledge and obviously I was like exhausted and stuff. And then after I sat on the ledge, I actually couldn't move like at all. I, d- I didn't know what was happening and she didn't get the hint. And then after that, I literally just fell off the ledge and started screaming in pain. Wow. Now, yeah. Zoe's dad, Mitch, to my understanding, then immediately called emergency services. Did he already think that it was um, a Nirukanji jellyfish that had stung um, you? No, well, so basically, because it was just me and Zoe on the boat and I start screaming, they're on the, the adults on the other boat, which is next to the one we were on. And they were like, what, like, what's going on? And Zoe was like, just shouting dad. And then somehow three of, four of them, so Steph, Stuart, Mitch, and I can't remember his name, but the boat owner was on the boat. And then that's when Mitch called emergency services because one of the ladies, Steph, said to Zoe, what happened? And I just 
Zoe was like, I don't know. So I pointed to my arm because that was the actual only logical th- reason I could think of because at this point I'm like, it's not the food and it's not the war and I didn't know what it was be. So I pointed to my arm and then Zoe said, she said she was stung by a jellyfish and then that's when Steph said, Hannah, you've been stung by an eerie candy jellyfish and I was like, just lying there like, what is this? I yeah. Wow. Had you heard of the Irukandji jellyfish no, before? No. So this was great news for you. You're, you know, writhing in pain on the yeah. floor of the boat and you don't really quite know what the significance of that is. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, I didn't actually care, to be honest, because I knew I was dying and I didn't really, like, at that point it was just so painful. I didn't care what, was, what happened. I was just kind of like, just stop the pain. Wow. So I felt like I was dying because, um, like, my lungs and, like, my heart, like, were, like, pushing out of my chest. And it just felt like everything was moving. I I can't describe it, but, like, I didn't – it was just – all I felt was pain. And um, in my head, I just, like, just said goodbye to everyone because I I knew I was dying and there there wasn't a doubt in my mind that I wasn't going to die. I thought in the next 10 seconds, the next, you know, I was just going to die. That's just horrifying – I can't imagine what that's like to go through. Yeah. So things are deteriorating fast on the boat and Mitch starts speeding back to the mainland and he's called emergency services. Casey, let's take the story over to you now as Hannah's mum. You were on shore and you received a call that something was wrong. What were you told? Well, it was actually a a really interesting day for us because, you know, Hannah was off... um, on the boats, it was a relaxing day at home, and literally just before the call came in, um, my husband and son went to the shops to pick up um, some food for lunch, and so my phone went, and it was Mitch, and he said something's wrong with Hannah. Um, we're on our way back. You can either meet us at the hospital, or you can meet us on the jetty. And of course, my brain went to. Husband's just taken the car. He didn't have his phone because his phone's on the bench. Um, it's karate. It's, you know, chilled out um, weekend, you know. And so I was like, we have another car. So I dived in the other car and the petrol light was on. And of course, I'm not going to go to the hospital. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to go straight to the Dampier jetty. And that was the longest drive of my life driving to that jetty because I was thinking it's just my luck that I'll run out of petrol on the way or the ambulance will come past me or you know just all of that what should I do stuff I couldn't tell Damien all I could do was leave Damien a message something's happened to Hannah I've gone to the jetty you know and what did Mitch tell you had happened to Hannah did he say what was wrong he was he was struggling to get his words out. So I knew it was bad. He just said something's happened to her. We're bringing her in. Um, the ambulance is on its way. Wait for our boat. Call us in. You might need to clear the jetty. Um, and that's a big job um, for me on, on that on that day. You know, it's um, in Karatha, boating is huge. It's, it's like what you do on the weekends. Nearly every other house has got one. And so I get to the jetty and I look and there is a queue of boats queuing to get in. And I I sort of thought, well, how, how am I going to clear? How do I clear the jetty? Like, I'm just me and there's all these people. And um, I rang them back and said, what colour is the boat? And of course, he said, it's white. And I'm like, oh, that's looking around. I couldn't see them. I'm waiting for the ambulance. And I got there before the ambulance. So 
I was thinking, oh, you know, they must be nearly here. So it was just like time stood still, to be honest. And I'm looking for the boat that looks the most urgent at getting in. And there were some guys on the jetty already, you know, offloading their um, bits and pieces. And I tried to say, look, we need to clear the jetty. There's something's happened. We're bringing my child in. And I was getting nowhere. Um And then this lady, I don't know who she was, she sort of locked up at me and sort of could tell from, it was the mum lock, she just knew that something was very badly wrong. So she sort of mobilised and screamed at everybody, thank God, to just shift out of the way to let this boat in. And I could see the boat coming across and I seen them come in and I'll never forget this vision because it's etched in my brain. But I saw Mitch holding the towel um, so just to keep the shade on her, but he was crying. And um, yeah, his face will stay with me forever because he said, I, I thought she, he, he just kept saying, I, I kept thinking we'd lost her. And I took a look at her and yeah, we, yeah, we weren't sure what was going on. And, and Steph, who Hannah refers to, is actually my friend from uh, work as well and it was as I jumped on the boat and I seen her cradling her and I was like oh you know hello like Steph and and she just kept saying I, I kept I don't know if we've I don't know if she's gone like we just keep losing her and I was like right okay and shouting Hannah look I'm here and she was she would be quiet but then she would make this noise and I say noise because um and, and we say screaming it was a different scream as parents we know you know when our kids are in pain we hear that cry but this was a scream it was a noise and um and I knew I knew it was really really bad it was um bad and there was just yeah she was in and out of consciousness we couldn't keep her settled and then the ambulance got there thank goodness and 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 they you know came through and uh, took over um which was stressful because you don't as a parent you want to do everything and you sort of have to take a step back and let people do what they need to do and I found that quite difficult because you know it's our job as parents to fix it and I couldn't fix it I understand so my first question is um could you as Hannah was uh, dropping in and out of consciousness as she was being brought into shore could you hear her from the shore or was it just watching this silent boat approach? It was, you know, etched in your brain is like I could paint the picture. It's boats everywhere and then that one boat that you can see racing across. And I think um, the boat guy actually said to me, he's pretty sure he broke land speed records because that boat, he's like, all I could think about was getting her into shore. And then to see that that was the boat that I needed to make way for, um, yeah, it was just a nightmare. And bear in mind, Damien as well, my husband had no idea what was going on. So I'm just waiting, at, you know, for this boat to come in so I can take a look at her. And the first thing I saw was Mitch's face. And he is, um, he's like a surrogate father to Hannah. So it was the face of a dad that had lost a child that I saw. That's the that's what I saw in in my mind, and that will be etched in my brain forever. You know, complete helplessness. Steph did say to me that um, on the way in, they are sure that they lost her a few times, and they kept bringing her back. So they saved her life on that boat, and um, 
you know. Were they, were they doing CPR or how yeah, were they? Yeah, I think Steph did say she had to do CPR at one point. Um, and she was vomiting as well. She was just covered in vomit. And um, yeah, and so the ambulance guy gave her the whistle. Um, so she was in and out of consciousness and we're in the ambulance. And um, she just kept saying, Mom, because obviously she knew I was there. And um, it was a sl- the slowest journey from Dampier to Caratha Hospital ever because we didn't have the sirens on because obviously to the paramedics it was just a jellyfish sting and you know teenage kids and I just kept thinking why are we not hurrying up and at the point where she was all tangled up and I realized we were getting in trouble for not being safe in the back I guess but I looked up thinking oh we must be nearly there so it's okay they'll get in and they'll give her meds and they'll help the pain um, we were still at the red light in Dumpier. There's only a few traffic lights in Caratha, so anyone from Caratha will be chuckling now because, yeah, we just had to be at the red light, you know. And, um, yeah, I, hate, I hated that journey so much. So the ambulance drivers didn't think that this was anything serious, despite all of well, the indicators and agitation and pain and vomit and they they yeah. weren't saying this is an Irukandji jellyfish? No, and and... You know, we have to remember that in remote regional Australia, um, our ambulance people are largely volunteers. And at the time, the paramedic was driving the rig, so couldn't actually administer any of her blood pressure medication that he is now was allowed to do, to, to do. And I only know this now because we sort of investigated that afterwards. But, you know, when you think about... Um, in crisis, you need someone, you need help right away. We forget that, you know, the ambulance, I got there before the ambulance because they had to mobilise the volunteers as well. And I think that's just, you know, a downside to living in regional Australia well, as as you, anyone who's needed real flying doctors will know. We don't know what it's like until you need it. And um, that's a huge gap in my mind that if you're in the city, it's immediate, responsive and you have two paramedics on the rig, not one volunteer, one paramedic, you know. So so there was a lot of lessons learned on that trip and, you know, getting her to hospital, you sort of think it's going to be good now, it's going to be fine, they're going to give her drugs, it's going to be all good. And boy, was I wrong. It, it was forever, forever in a day of watching your child and screaming agony and not being able to do anything about it. You know, when they say, Mom... You know, your job is to fix it, and I couldn't fix it. Neither could the doctors. So what happened once Hannah was in the hospital, Casey? Yeah, um, look, we worked together on trying to figure out how to manage her pain, and I say that in such a way it became a bit of a team effort because every time the waves of pain would come, she would require something different. So it would start in her feet, And it would be this wave of pure screaming agony. So the screams would kick in and the noise would kick in. And I, like I say, it's, it's worse than a scream. It's haunting. It's haunting that noise. And, um, it was a whole hospital effort in trying to help manage this pain. And, you know, I finally got hold of Damien and he is a bit, uh, what, what's happened oh yeah she's been strong in his mind she's been strong it's going to be all good and I think he realized when he got there that that wasn't 
the case at all. And because Mitch had been on the boat with her watching this wave of agony and this um, system of pain, um, when he came in, he tended to go into autopilot in being able to see when it was coming. I'm a mum, I know. I would know a few seconds before it was about to hit, I would say it's on its way, I can feel it, and then it would starting her feet so one of us would be lying on her feet one would be rubbing her back somebody would be in her ear saying it's gonna pass in a minute we've just got to get through it and she she was basically asking me to let her die just let me die she kept saying please just let me die take it all away she'll have a quiet moment and then up it would roar again and um it wasn't just hannah and me and the people in our little cubicle going through it it was every person in the emergency room that day and reception and the waiting room they could all hear her so it was like the whole of Karatha was willing her to get better and all of us were completely helpless in managing it As I mentioned earlier this podcast has been made possible with the support of Isuzu Ute Australia Having reliable vehicles is imperative in the harsh Australian outback, and Isuzu have provided D-Max Utes and MUX SUVs to pull seven large RFDS flight simulators as they engage in school, community and field day activities for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. These simulators are full-size planes, minus the wings, and the Isuzu D-Max and MUX vehicles are a perfect match for the long-distance heavy towing demands of these RFDS simulators right across Australia. So keep an eye out for them as they travel around each state, and we would love to see photos and locations on our Flying Doctor podcast community Facebook page when you see them. Was there some point where in the emergency department they said, okay, this is an Irukandji jellyfish, here's what we do? Mm, Yeah, yeah. They said we were in in touch with Perth, uh, well, Princess Margaret Hospital, that's now the Children's Hospital, and um, some specialists there. And we had a textbook that the lady worked through with me and said, look, you know, our 12... I think it was hour 12 we were hanging on for and we got to hour 12 and it still hadn't gone away and she started to go yellow and um, the nurses actually said to me that very early on I was asking, should we get her out of here? Do we need our FDS? Uh, what do I need to do to get that to happen? Do I need to ring my private health? Like, Because I don't know. I don't know how to make our FDS just appear I I didn't know what to do I just wanted it to go away I wanted to get her to Perth because I was thinking Perth will know what to do you're a regional hospital what do you know and um, the hospital actually pulled in and docked her off I think she was a new doctor due to start but they brought her in early because she had experience in trauma Um, and she worked with us a little bit but I kept saying, please, can we send her? And no, no, we've got it under control. We're in contact. And I, that's when I started to fight a bit harder and started to demand things. So we got the x-ray and that's when we realized that her lungs were full of fluid. We did her blood tests and all this stuff. And, you know, you you there's a regret that I have in not kicking up a bit harder, but you trust 
the system and you you sort of listen. But um, when I realized that she was coughing a lot, so I was thinking, this is weird. She's changing over the over the night. Probably it was just terrifying. You can't take your kid's pain away, but they're in a hospital setting. And that's what the job of the hospital is, to take the pain away. And, you know, helpless is not even the right word. It's completely limbs cut off, can't do anything. Right. Um, yeah. Now, because there's no anti-venom for irukandji jellyfish stings, um, the basic treatment really, to my understanding, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is just pain medication until the toxins move through the body and flush, um, which is, I think, what you were mentioning about the 12-hour period. The, the hospital were expecting that after the 12-hour period, that would be sufficient time for the toxins to move through the body and to start seeing improvement. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that was our understanding. But once we got to hour 13, 14, 15, um, and the coughing started... And then she started to cough blood. And that's when the mama bear in me was about to pop. And luckily, one of the nurses could see that I was really struggling and um, literally pushed me through the door of the emergency room to get some air, to which I fell into actually Mitch's arms because they were waiting in the reception, burst into tears. He said, the way that you came through that door, I thought she had gone. In my mind, I thought we were losing her I didn't know what to think what to do and while I was out they rang RFDS and so the nurse pulled me aside and said they're coming they're finally coming because I kept asking can you please get them here we need them can you just get them they'll help us um and I've I, the relief was unbelievable the relief when they said they're on their way but on their way also means a few hours away so you know that's also again a long long few hours and you know the coughing blood the fluid on her lungs we knew it was it was sad they had her on the seat the CPAP the airway pushing the air in her lungs but she just giving me that look and I, I it wasn't helping she couldn't actually breathe and um, that's when they decided to put her into the induced coma and you know, anyone who's put a child to sleep for a surgery knows how hard that is, the helplessness that you feel there. But putting your, te like your teenager, your person, your mini version of you, just completely um, reliant on these machines was, was a strange feeling because she was quiet. She was out of pain. She stopped screaming. And there was this, it's like a flipped version of she's sleeping now, she's resting, but she's also, you know, they're keeping her alive. It was a strange feeling and I I breathed a sigh of relief, but the whole hospital did too. I had people coming up to me in the corridor saying, you know, we heard her, we could hear her every scream, we were with you, we were feeling it. And I was like, so sorry, you know, you're also sick. People with, you know, husbands with heart problems just... The whole community sort of mentally rallied around us um, because they were feeling that pain too. And I can't tell you the relief that I felt watching those two RFDS ladies march in with their gear and taking over. It was the nicest sight for me. And they, you know, it was incredible to see. But for me, um, watching them come in and 
take over, you're giving your child to somebody to look after. I have never felt so supported in that space that when they came in, I could feel that they they know what they're doing. They'll, we'll be good. We'll be good now. We've we've got this, you know. How were you feeling as you took that very long flight back to Perth? How were you feeling? Was it um, one of hope and we're going to be okay? Or was it, were you still sort of like feeling that your daughter is at death's door? Yeah, I, I knew we weren't okay. Um, there was a few moments on the flight um, that I watched the ladies do what they could do and we were, I could tell that they were struggling to keep her stable. And in my own head, I did my own version of saying goodbye on that plane because you sort of didn't know, especially when we realised things were a bit sticky and I was, and then she actually rang. I didn't know there was phones on these planes that you can ring the hospital. That's next level incredible. But I knew that that decision to pick up the phone wasn't made lightly and I can read, you know, it's a tiny plane. You could, their mums, their, you know, aunties, nannies, you can feel it. And I sort of knew that we were struggling and gave me a few things to do. Hold this, hold that, put that in a bin. And that was actually really useful for me because our job is to comfort. And all I could do was sit at the bottom of the bed and hold her foot. And they kept saying, you know, you need to sleep. And I couldn't, couldn't even try and rest because every time I closed my eyes, I could hear her. I could hear her screaming. And so that's impossible to... um let go of even sometimes now when you look at her you can see it or feel that level of pain that she was going in longest plane journey ever it felt like forever I actually don't know how long it was I think it was a good few hours my friend said it was a, a while longer because it's a smaller plane but in my mind it's a jet you got to hurry up and get us there you know it is a long way from Caratha to Perth um we forget over on the eastern seaboard we often forget the vast distances of western Australia and and how far it is from one place to another. Um, but you were in good hands. You were in an intensive care flying unit of the RFDS. Um, you landed in Jandakot and Hannah was taken um, to the tertiary hospital. And what happened at that point? Well, London um, was a relief and um, the doctor said to me, Anne-Marie, she's um, amazing, did say I'm going to go back on the flight, you know, back to me, Kathara, and I was like, oh, cool, no problem, thanks very much. Next thing I know, she's shoving me in the front of the ambulance and I'm coming with you. So, oh, okay. But that that move in itself was like a mum saying, I've got this. I'm, I'm, I'm still here, I'm with you, and I'll be with you until I've handed her over to the hospital. That little move there just kept my sanity because... My mind went to oh, new people, new people that need to try and understand what's going on with her. Um, and then they sirened her all the way to the hospital and had a bit of a chat with the um, the driver who was telling me about speeding tickets, the ambulances getting all this stuff. And so she was keeping my mind busy and getting to the hospital. I was told that, you know, the transfer can take a while. I was terrified because then I'm going to be on my own. But to have that level of support was lovely and to have the doctor from RFDS take her all the way to the hospital for handover was amazing. Wow. She was on in an induced coma for two days, is that right? Yeah, two days. They were pushing quite high levels of morphine to keep her stable. 
and what I think she said it was adult adult um, levels because I was like, can she still feel pain? No, she's resting. We're resting her lungs and her heart because her left valve of her heart had st- stopped, like wasn't working properly. And Hannah was struggling. So I knew we were still fighting hard. And um, everyone kept telling me you need to sleep. And I'm, how can you sleep when your child is, it just doesn't happen. So I don't think I slept for a while. You'd been awake awake for, what, two days, three days? Three days. We worked out three days before she actually made me go to bed. I think they gave me something. I can't remember, but I did. um, But even then, you lie there, you close your eyes, you hear the noise. And, you know, the media had picked it up. People were talking, saying the media wanted to talk to you. All this stuff was happening. And I just didn't care. I just wanted her to be okay, you know. And then when we sort of decided to wake her up, that was interesting in itself because they decided to wake her up on superhero day so all of the nurses and doctors were dressed up as superheroes and the nurse that Hannah had wake her up was a lovely girl but she was dressed up as a superhero and Hannah Hannah's first words was you're evil because that's she must have been a bit dreary when she woke up but I realised as soon as she did wake up that we weren't out of the woods and that the pain was going to return and the doctor didn't believe me at first. And I said, no, I can tell any minute now she's going to say her feet hurt. And then she did. And what we realised is by putting her to sleep, slowed down all the toxins. So every time she moved, it all kicked up again. And then we got, what, two more weeks of... Hard out, screaming the hospital down with waves of agony and doctors and nurses not understanding and having to go through the same thing over and over again to say when I press the button and this pain is coming, I need hands, I need people. And one of the the doctors sort of teared up and said, my job here is to take pain away for kids and I'm currently watching Hannah bite in a pillow because she didn't want the kids around her to hear her scream. Um, so they ended up putting her on a pump um, where you press the button every time you need to administer your meds and she pressed it 50 to 55 times in the first 10 minutes to administer that. So it was, it was awful. And then we realised that, hang on, here we go again. And... Um, they became known as episodes, so it became a bit of a thing. New nurse, you had to explain. She has episodes. When I press the button, we need you. This is what we're not pressing for a cup of tea or something. We're pressing because we need hands, and they would come running. And it was just one pain wave after the other. And then physio would come, not realizing that movement it was movement that brought it all on. Um, she couldn't go to the toilet without racing back to the bed and over she would go and our friends and family then were coming and would see it and it's not an easy thing to watch at all I've got a friend who is a nurse who said in all her years of nursing she has never seen that level of pain in anyone is this is this something that happens to anybody that gets a Nirakanji jellyfish sting or do you think it was the severity of the sting that Hannah received because well, for me, it was it was on my arm for a really long time because the tentacles are so long as well. I feel like that's why, because it was like it wouldn't come off. And I was like, like, there's a jellyfish on my arm. Mm. So it actually adhered to your arm. It was wrapped around my arm, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I think when we've 
looked back and talked to people um one of the one of the guys I was listening to talk about it said if you set fire if you pour lighter fluid all over yourself and then set fire to that and times that pain by a million you might just understand what that pain feels like and when I think back to watching that level of pain I don't even think childbirth was like that I think it was I'm, I think for Hannah now childbirth is going to be a complete breeze but yeah this is nothing um but watching or not understanding the impacts of the sting even now you know however many years on we are um getting some interesting symptoms with Hannah so there's now an issue that we found with her blood and we're like well is that because of the after effects of this sting you know we don't really know and you never really understand and when I learned that it attacks your nervous system and your lymphatic system at the same time it kind of you kind of go okay that's you know that's interesting and then I think the chest doctor said that he's never seen lungs like it when he saw her scan he's never seen anything like it and luckily her heart valve healed itself by resting um but she was on pain medication for at least six months after yeah. that. But even then, she had memory issues. She um, would say things to us that we would all look at each other going, that was that camping trip was about five years ago. How How is she saying this? She would forget that people were in the room with her, her friends from school. The light went off for a little bit, you know, this this little happy girl that I had sort of changed overnight into to a different person because of what she'd been through. And, you know, we had to manage that as a family. We were separated. Half my family was still in Karatha and we, we ended up staying here for a good six weeks or more because we couldn't let her fly because of the pressure. And that put a lot of pressure on family and a lot of pressure on us as well and friends helping her get through this but she was vomiting with the medication and you know the moment she'd say I feel sore we'd all panic. So it was obviously a long road to recovery and for any teen young teen to go through what Hannah went through is going to have lasting impact on her mentally, physically, spiritually. I mean, my heart goes out to you on this. I'm, I'm going to switch over back over to Hannah now because I'd like to um, just get her reflections on this. Um, Hannah, here you are, a teenager that's gone through an experience that nobody would wish on anyone. Has life returned somewhat to normal for you? Do you sort of feel like a normal person or do you feel like this has changed you forever? I feel, I, I feel normal now. It's just something like I think, I don't I don't like to forget it but I do like to forget it like I don't like to think about it it was just so hard so just like just want to move on from it I guess but that makes yeah. complete sense do you think this experience has changed your perspective on life yeah because it's just made me realize that it's too short and um it was just so unexpected and I never thought that would happen to me um and it's just like saying goodbye like like I knew I was dying, I was dying and I, it's just, I never thought I'd have that happen. Does it make you feel happy to be alive? That's a strange question, but... Um, yeah, it, 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 it does, but it's just the months after, it was so hard. It was worse than the actual thing for me because it was just, 
Like, everyone was always asked if you're okay. But it's like, I wasn't. Mitch actually wrote a poem for Hannah and um, because he was with her on the boat and then he was watching her go through this in the hospital and Zoe was still stood in wet clothes and um, he came up to me and said goodbye about two o'clock in the morning and I thought okay yeah no problem thanks it's so thanks for staying and thanks for being with us and he sort of left and I didn't think anything of it but he said to me I said goodbye to Hannah when um, I was leaving Casey and she locked up at me after in between these massive pain episodes and said thank you for taking me on the boat and he couldn't believe it he said I just couldn't believe that she still had this level of gratitude even though she's screaming the hospital down and he actually wrote her a poem and Hannah's asked me to read it. So he called it Brave. I've seen boxes dodge, duck and dive only to be struck again. He hits the deck with spinning head, he must get by ten. Soldiers run up a fiery beach into a raging storm. Dead and dying are all around, he may not see the dawn. Policemen rush to every call to face he knows not who. The bad guys will have guns and knives, but his duty he must do. I've seen firemen rush to flame and heat to save another life. With flashing lights and siren loud, he's thinking of his wife. Forty boys jump and leap, then head first in the mud. To get the ball, his only aim, no matter about the blood. A head put in a lion's mouth makes circus watchers fret. And trapezes fly high above with no need for a net. I've seen racing cars go speeding by, they reach 300 k's. One false move on this next bend would surely end his days. I've seen Olympians stand tall and proud beneath the waving banner, but I've never seen, nor never will, a soul as brave as a girl named Hannah. Hear, hear. Hannah, I have just one last curious question. I'm dying to ask, have you since been swimming in the ocean? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, when we moved down to Perth, we drove down and we stopped at Monkey Mile and I'd been there before when I was younger, like four or something and um, my brother and my sister and my mum were in the water and there was like dolphins like right by them and I was like, I'm just going to go in. So I went in and I kid you not, I was like swimming and I got stung by a jellyfish, <laughs> a normal one, hand on heart, I cannot make that up and I was like, no. mum... I've been stung by jellyfish and I have a picture and it's the exact same spot and it's just the the mark over my little scar from the Irikanji. And so then after that, I it was months I didn't go back in and then that's when with triathlon for school I had to and I just ran in. I'm so glad you're back in the water. And, and honestly, it takes so much courage not just to go through such an incident but to then come and talk about it and share the story with the world. I really want to say thank you, Hannah. I'm grateful to share my story and um, be able to like spread awareness for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. I'm Lana Mitchell from the Royal Flying Doctor Service and thank you for listening to the Flying Doctor Podcast. The Flying Doctor Podcast was presented by me, Lana Mitchell. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with someone who you think will love it too. Thank you for listening to the Flying Doctor Podcast. Before I head off, 
I just want to thank one last time our sponsor and major national partner, Isuzu Ute Australia. Isuzu is committed to supporting the communities in which the RFDS operates, and this podcast would not be possible without their support. To learn more, search Isuzu Ute online.